0: Our first reading is from Psalm 71, verses 1 to 6, from the CEV version. I run to you, Lord, for protection. Don't disappoint me. You do what is right, so come to my rescue. Listen to my prayer and keep me safe. Be my mighty rock, the place where I can always run for protection. Save me by your command. You are my mighty rock and my fortress. Come and save me, Lord God, from vicious and cruel and brutal enemies. I depend on you, and I have trusted you since I was young. I have relied on you from the day I was born. You brought me safely through birth, and I always praise you.
1: Our second reading is from 1 Corinthians 3, verse 18. Don't fool yourselves. If any of you think you are wise in the things of this world, you will have to become foolish before you can be truly wise. This is because God considers the wisdom of this world to be foolish. It is just as the scriptures say, God catches the wise when they try to outsmart him. The scriptures also say, the Lord knows that the plans made by wise people are useless. So stop bragging about what anyone has done. Paul and Apollos and Peter all belong to you. In fact, everything is yours, including the world, life, death, the present and the future. Everything belongs to you. And you belong to Christ. And Christ belongs to God. Think of us as servants of Christ, who have been given the work of explaining God's mysterious ways. And since our first duty is to be faithful to the one we work for, it doesn't matter to me if I am judged by you or even by a court of law. In fact, I don't judge myself. I don't know of anything against me, but that doesn't prove that I am right. The Lord is my judge. So don't judge anyone until the Lord returns. He will show you what is hidden in the dark and what is in everyone's heart. Then God will be the one who praises each of us. Friends, I have used Apollos and myself as examples to teach you the meaning of the saying, follow the rules. I want you to stop saying that one of us is better than the other. What is so special about you? What do you have that you were not given? And if it was given to you, how can you brag? Are you already satisfied? Are you now rich? Have you become kings while we are still nobodies? I wish you were kings, then we would have a share in your kingdom.
0: I suspect that every good parent wants their child to grow up with a high level of self-esteem. Just the the right degree of of self-assertiveness, sufficient confidence to take the initiative and to be independent... It's good if the child can accept praise from others and use that as a spur to achieving success in whatever field it is, their natural aptitude lies. As parents, we want to be proud of our children. It's a thrill when we can be. That, that's just a little bit risky, though, because if our children had the capacity to make us proud it follows, I guess, that they also have the capacity to make us disappointed. And and so it's a bit of a dangerous game. Because if you feel pride and you want to feel pride, um, communicating that sense of pride can really lift a child up to the heights. But if you want to feel proud and you feel disappointed, and you communicate that disappointment, that can be devastating for the child. It's a a narrow pathway that we tread in terms of building them up when they succeed and and not kind of pulling them down when we feel, oh, you could have done better there. For a child to have a robust self-confidence, a parent's approval and affirmation has to be really detached a bit from the child's achievement or success. Because they need to know, they need to be able to cope with failure and a parent's disappointment in them doesn't help them cope with failure we need to be affirming them in the bad times as well as the good or finding a way to do that somehow the trouble is that parents sometimes fall into the trap of being extremely competitive to the point of being almost desperate it seems it's a bit of a parody desperate for their child to succeed and They want the child to do better than they have themselves, particularly parents who say, well, I didn't get the opportunities when I was young, so I want my child to have opportunities, and I'm going to make sure that they make the most of them. And that can be quite pressurising sometimes. Pressure to, to succeed, to be the best. It might be to be the quickest runner, the, the fastest reader, uh, to score the most goals, to get the best results, to go furthest. Parents are desperate sometimes for their children to do well. And we can sometimes almost foist our own securities on our children. I might not have made as much of my life as I would like, but I'm going to make jolly good show that my children do. And so we push them in that direction. Please don't get me wrong, I'm not saying we shouldn't take pride in our children at every available opportunity. We should never hesitate to praise them when they do well. But when that pride edges over into competitive, wanting our child to be better, brighter, and more successful than others, then we need to be aware. Because a child's achievement and success needs to be celebrated, especially when they know that they are not the best. They still need to know our support at times like that. C.S. Lewis said that pride is essentially competitive because it's always comparative. How well am I doing compared to the others? If I'm a proud man, he said, as long as there is one man in the whole world more powerful or richer or cleverer than I, he is my rival and my enemy. A proud man is always looking for a vantage point to look down on things and people. And of course, as long as you are looking down, you can't see something that's above you. Lewis has a point. Pride can corrode our relationships with others. If we are especially insecure, it's hard to resist the temptation to big yourself up by putting others down. That's why those who have to tell everybody else just how well they are doing, or sometimes just how well their child is doing, can sometimes betray just a little bit how a little bit insecure or maybe inadequate they feel deep down inside. And if we're not feeling secure with ourselves and in our families, then we can always be looking for ways of getting an edge over everybody else, because we're always looking over our shoulder to see who's catching up, who's threatening our position, our status. So pride doesn't admit to any weaknesses because that would be to expose a a chink in your armour which someone else could use against you and you don't like being vulnerable. Pride won't stoop to serve other people because, well, you have your position to think of and and what would other people think of you if they saw you debasing yourself to do that or or to talk to that person. And pride can lead to small-mindedness because we feel more important if we are a big fish in a small pond if we are the one and only. So we cut ourselves off from everything that might remind us of how significant we really are on the world stage. And we pretend that the world we've created around us would stop turning if we were no longer at its centre. The philosopher Spinoza was right to say that pride is pleasure from a man's thinking too highly of himself. It's overestimation of oneself by reason of self-love. If I'm proud, I won't make room for others in my world you know that reading from one corinthians paul has a go at those who are being proud he says you know what reason have you got to boast what have you got that you did not receive he asks them recognize your indebtedness to god in some way shape or form because he's the one who gives you the brakes he's the one who gives you the initiative He's the one who gave you the affirming the, the, the home perhaps that enabled you to have the confidence to go where you went and do what you did. If you'd been born in another part of the world or another era, you would not have the opportunities that have come your way. So he says there is space, a bit for humility, just to say, I've got this far, but recognise the other people who've helped you get that far and the raw material that God gave you to work with in your life. Because if pride is about comparing yourself with those around you and looking for reasons to reassure yourself that you are better than them, faith is about looking up and taking your bearings for your self-esteem and your sense of self-worth from God. And that doesn't always come naturally or easily to us. Partly that is a reflection of our pride. It makes us feel good if we can look around and see, well, I'm doing better than other people. And you never find yourself of being in a position where you can look down on God and say, I'm doing better than God here. It just doesn't happen. That's why proud people tend to think about God as little as possible, because that's a competition they ain't going to win. We can't compete with God, and if we try, we end up losing and seeing ourselves a bit like small, dirty objects in comparison to him. So a lot of people think it's better not to bother. Besides, the competitive side of us gets a teeny bit envious when the spotlight is on other people. And we can get needled by the way in which God seems to need to be the centre of attention all the time. All this people singing songs and hymns to tell him how wonderful he is. But did you notice that little phrase in our reading from one Corinthians where Paul was talking about God being his judge? I'm not unduly bothered about your opinion of me, he says. Come judgment day, the Lord will bring to light what is hidden in the dark. He will expose the hidden motives of every heart. And then, he will be the one who praises each of us. God is uniquely qualified to say, actually, that person deserves praise, because he looks inside and sees the motives. He sees what's really going on beneath the surface. But that idea of God praising us isn't usually how we think about things. Christianity is not about us mere mortals being driven by a sense of our own inadequacy to tell God how wonderful he is while he looks at us as if we're something he picked up on the bottom of his shoe. That's not what it's about. In any good, loving relationship, you can never praise the one you love enough. That goes for couples, that goes for parents and children. You can never give children enough praise. And it is in God's heart to praise us when we do well or when we do something for him. We all know about praising God, we all know about the singing of the hymns and sometimes we forget that that brings pleasure to his heart. It's in God's heart to bring pleasure to ours and affirm us and, and, and to let us know that he thinks we're brilliant, when we do something, that is part of the relationship that we can enjoy with God. If you've seen the film Chariots with Fire, you might remember that line where the Olympic champion Eric Little says, God made me fast, and when I run, I feel his pleasure. And that's part of what it is. When you do well to feel God's pleasure, for, for God to say, I made you with that ability, with that potential, and it thrills God to see us making the most of it. And he communicates that pleasure to us. He communicates that praise to us. God delights in his children. He shares that delight with us. And when we miss up, his heart remains full of grace and love and compassion to lift us to our feet again and encourage us to have another go. It's not a one-way thing where we praise God and he looks down on us with disapproval. It is two-way. Praise comes back to us from God when we make the most of the lives that he's given to us. We do live in a society where all too often we find other people wanting to do well at our expense. And and that competitive atmosphere can feel a bit toxic at times. But if you know that God is on your side, that could be quite liberating. You are not competing with God. You can't. It's never his aim to hold you back or stunt your potential. It is his heart's desire for you to feel his pleasure and to receive his praise. That's why we feel good, actually, when we're worshipping God from the bottom of our hearts. We give him praise and glory, and it makes us feel good as well, because it is a shared thing. And if you take your bearings from God and his unconditional love for you then that does help you be emotionally robust when things go wrong, when other people run you down or even when you fail it is vitally important that our sense of who we are is not wrapped up in our pride because our pride is far too easily dented far better to take our bearings from God There's no point in trying to hide our vulnerabilities from him because he knows us inside out anyway. And he still accepts us as we are for who we are. Knowing the dark things that we don't want anybody else's light to shine on. Knowing the secrets of our hearts. He still loves us anyway. Paul wrote 1 Corinthians to a squabbling congregation full of people who were looking to boost their own status by claiming that their adopted Christian leader was the most important or was the best preacher or had the greatest authority. So Paul tells them to shut up and stop boasting about human achievement or about how well this or that person was doing. Paul, Apollos, Peter were the Christian leaders about whom some were saying, well, he's our apostle and he's better than yours. But Paul says, Paul, Apollos, Peter, we all belong to all of you. Everything is yours, he says. Everything belongs to you, including the world, life, death, the present, the future. It's all yours, he says. How come? Well, all these things are yours, and you are Christ's, and Christ is God's. And if you belong to Christ and Christ belongs to God, then everything that belongs to God belongs to you because you belong to him. So it's all yours, he says. The world, life, death, the present, the future, the lots. Paul seems perhaps to go off on a bit of flight of fancy at this point. But what's he trying to say? If everything is already yours in Christ, if you have received all that as God's gift to you, There is no need to be constantly striving after success or striving after happiness or striving after fulfilment or striving after achievement. For the proud person, there's always a greater achievement to aspire to, another mountain to claim, another award to win, another success to chalk up. And even if you do reach the absolute top, there is still the desperate need to stay there for as long as possible before somebody else tips you off. If pride in my achievement is replaced by trust in Christ, then everything I need for my inner sense of identity and self-worth is mine in the knowledge that I belong to Christ. And that is the ultimate security. And that doesn't mean that we can't be proud when things go well, because we feel God's affirmation of us. But pride is subordinate to the recognition that God has made me who I am. And I can trust him and feel his praise and sense his delight. But I'm still not looking down on anybody else. And if our security is in God, then there is no need to be afraid because he rules over my world. He is sovereign over my life, sovereign over my death. He's in charge of what happens to me today and what will happen to me tomorrow. The things that are outside of my control are in his. So I don't need to be afraid of what might happen. I don't need to be afraid of what other people might think of me. I don't even need to be afraid of failure. These things, if they happen, affect us, of course they do. But the essence of who we are is secure in Christ, in God. And if I achieve success, it's not because I'm looking for recognition or affirmation or something to bolster my self-esteem. It's because knowing I am loved unconditionally by God releases me to be the best that I can be. (coughs) Knowing that one day I will hear him say to me, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your Lord. And it will be as much of a thrill for God to say those words to me as it will be for me to hear him say them. So Paul says there's no room for boasting. Just a glory in the grace of God that brings delight in living for him. God is no competitive parent. He's just a heavenly father who loves each one of us with all his heart and will always do so, no matter how well we do or how badly we stuff up. His love is constant Unconditional and unchanging. That's how God treats us. Those of us with children, let's do the same for them as well.